Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm jumping ahead of everything. I'm not playing the music tonight because Jay's not here. I only do that to, to appease him. Um, good evening and welcome to Peace State Pandemonium for Thursday, May 4th. 2017. This is Michael Norris along with one of my co-hosts, Jerry Oates. Hopefully Bobby Simmons will be calling in uh, later on from uh, from the road. He's en route from uh, Las Vegas. And uh, Jay West is uh, in between having some medical procedures done. He had one done today and uh, has got to go back in and have another one done in the morning. So uh, I gave him the day off. But uh, we have uh, a couple of special guests that are going to be with us tonight. In fact, one of them is already on the air with us. Uh, Two-time NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, former U.S. Heavyweight Champion, former U.S. Tag Team Champion, and I could be here all night naming all the titles that this gentleman held. Uh, Welcome to uh, Peach State Pandemonium, to uh, Rotten Ron Starr, Rambo Ron Starr, or Ravishing Ron Starr. He was all of them at one time or another. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Before we go any further... Tell Jerry Oates I said hello. I hadn't I hadn't talked to him in probably fifteen, twenty years. All right, I will certainly do so. How you doing, Ron? Good, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good. Good, good, I'm glad to hear it. I've had a lot of health problems and seems like every time I gotta do a show and or something I start having these health problems again. Uh, like now I'm kinda short of breath. It's hard for me to talk, but uh, I'll be on here as long as well, as long as I can. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Well, let me ask you, Ron. I know you grew up in Atlanta, and uh, you were a fan of of well before it was Georgia Championship Wrestling, Atlanta Wrestling. But let me ask: Did you ever tote Jerry Jerry Oates' bag when you were a little boy? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. I towed a lot of bags. <laughs> That's kind of a running joke here. We all say we towed a Jerry Oates' bag, even even the ones that are not that much younger than him. Yeah. I get that all the time. Uh, now <laughs> it's my turn to sit back and tell all these guys, well, when you carry my bag. Uh, I hear uh, that. As a matter of fact, I think you've got a couple of them down there. People like uh, Moretti, Ed Moretti. Ed Moretti, yeah, he's been yeah. on our show, yeah. Yeah, he, I know I, I give him the, the same running joke about carrying bags for me and, and all of that. Uh, there's another guy that I left him in California, and I think he was broke in with somebody else. And I don't even know who, but the guy's name was Batterman. Batten. Does that name sound familiar? I only know the Batten twins. No, the Batten Twins, I had them down in Puerto Rico when I was booking down there. 
I brought them down there and did pretty good with them. Well, Jack, uh, how did you exactly get into the uh, into the business? I know you just from the excerpts I've read from your book that uh, your mom was a was a regular patron of the of the matches yeah, at the city true. auditorium. Right. I uh, just I, I don't know how, how did I break in. I just kept bugging with guys and like the Torres brothers and Alberto Ramon and guys like that. Kept hassling them until finally they they. Gave me a little break to get me in, you know, and did a lot of work with me. When did you start, Ron? Pardon me? When did you start? I started in 72, 73, something like that. Because I came back from Vietnam in 72, and probably within a year or so is when I broke in. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a uh, see if you this brings back a memory to you, a, a dear friend of ours and of this show and and of me personally um, and of Jerry because Jerry had a lot of matches with him. Uh, Bill Bowman told me before yeah, he passed Bowman. away that uh, he wrestled you and you were still Bobby Star at that point. He wrestled right. you at the, at the Atlanta City Penitentiary or, or State Penitentiary. Right, I remember that. I remember that. As a matter of fact, talking about Bowman and all, you know, I threw my very first drop kick on him there at the uh, at the prison show. I'd never thrown a drop kick in my life, and he called the drop kick. And I thought, I don't, I don't know how to do it. And he held me by the hands and snatched me up, you know. And <laughs> I went ahead and threw the legs out, and I knew you could do it, kid. And that that was my very first drop kick. Yeah, Bill and uh, his partner Joe Turner. We've lost them both now, but they were two, two hell of two guys, man. Yeah, they were nice guys. But uh, uh, and so while I've got uh, while we're on the subject of you, of your book, uh, your co-author Rock Rims is also on the line with us. Uh, Rock is not only the co-author of uh, Ron's book, which is called uh, uh, Bad to the Bone, 25 Years of Riots and Wrestling. Uh, Rock uh, Rock has also written a book um, about the uh, San Francisco Territory called When It Was Big Time. Rock, welcome to the show. You think? Ron's a hell of a guy, man. He does some good writing. Yeah, from what I the, the excerpts that he sent me of both your book and his, uh, they they look like fascinating books, and both of them have gone on to my uh, my future reading list for sure. Um, and before we end the show tonight, I'll let you guys uh, let everybody that's listening know where um, where they can be purchased and and everything else. But uh, getting back to, to you, Ron, I remember I grew up in Mobile. Um, well, I actually, I grew up an Army brat and traveled all over the world, but uh, ended up in Mobile in 1970, and that's where I remember you from. You yeah. first came in uh, there as Mr. Wrestling, and I don't yeah. remember if you were unmasked or if you unmasked yourself, and I'm not sure if you remember, because I know you did that, that 
that gimmick all over the country. Yeah, I think uh, I unmasked myself. Uh, I think that's yeah. I'm pretty sure I unmasked myself down there, and uh, a couple other places uh, that I traveled around and did the Mr. Wrestling thing. I, Mr. Wrestling was one of the one of my heroes, you know. Right. Tim Woods, and I always I always uh, liked him and thought of real a lot about his work and that you know he was capable of doing anything. Uh, I uh, just did the gimmick all over around all over the country, down as far as Puerto Rico and everything else. I did a lot of time. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Was that? I'm not sure. Was that you, Rock? Must have been. I don't know. I but if for those that uh, are familiar with the Gulf Coast territory, most people remember you as being uh, Gulf Coast Tag Team Champions with Terry Lathan and the hellacious feud you guys had with uh, Ronnie Dupree and Chris Colt, the whole Hells right. Angels. Yeah, you guys had some, some hellacious matches. Yes, you're right about that. We've uh, we had. Couple of times in, God, where was it? We was over in uh, Mississippi, and we had such good matches there. It was breaking out in riots, and the cops shut it down, and everything else. Those those two guys could could work good. I mean, they they were really good in the ring, and just really easy to work with, you know. Now, I I saw a match, and before you and Terry started teaming up, you teamed with Ricky. This this happened in Mobile. You and Ricky Gibson. Yeah. It was it was like a second match on the card. I mean, it was not a not a main event or semi or anything else. It was just a, a one time thing. You teamed with Ricky Gibson and uh, had a match against the Patriots, which was uh, Bob Griffin and, and Bobby Hart, and it ended up as a you know, a double disqualification. You guys tore the arena down. Second match on the card. Yeah, well, we always tried to. I always had to say the point in my mind. You know, they may they may only remember one thing, but I'm going to be the one they remember. That's and right. We would we would say we would make sure they'd remember us, regardless. I've always been that way. But you had a good run there in Mobile, and then, you, of course, I think from there you went to uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, went out for uh, the, the, the land of the fourteen-hour uh, trips, as Jerry Oldwell knows. That's <laughs> I used to love yeah. the one from Homa all the way to Oklahoma City, from Homa, Louisiana, to Oklahoma yeah, I City. I remember that one. Oh God, that was a bitch, man. That was a long when were you one. out there? When were you out there, Ron? Uh, right after I left for Mobile, I think that's I went out there the first time, and then I uh, I was around there two or three different times. Uh, when I needed a place to go, I knew I could always go back to Oklahoma or whatever. Leroy McGurk was a promoter, as you know, and he liked my work. And he uh, 
he put the junior heavyweight title on me the first time, you know. And then Brian Blair, when he was married to Leroy's daughter, brought me in out there, and uh, that's when they, I had this second title of the junior heavyweight. And he and Leroy listened to this one. One day, one day we walked in the uh, office, and he and Leroy were fighting like you wouldn't believe. I'll shoot you, you son of a bitch. And he pulled out a gun now. When Leroy, now I'm talking about blind man, <laughs> legally blind, pulls out a gun and goes to shooting. Believe me, I hit the floor quick. I hit the floor quick, and we crawled I around in there well. for about five minutes until Leroy finally, his old lady, uh, his wife, you know, I can't remember her name. Well, anyway, she starts, she run up, and, Leroy, goddamn it, what are you doing? You shooting that gun in there? I told you about that. <laughs> and he put it, put it down. Well, these guys had just moved one time where I know where they're at, I'd shoot them. Now, that's it for me. I decided it's time for me to leave and go somewhere else. And that's when I had the junior heavyweight title the second time, and from there, let's see, when I left, uh, where did I go with that? I think Leroy. I think that's when I went went out to California, California and Oregon. Worked out there for a couple of years. Yeah, it's odd that, that Jerry, you and Ron never uh, never really crossed paths all that much, considering. He was in Portland with Don Owens. You know, you you were out there as well at one point. You were both in Kansas City at one time. Yeah, for some reason we re- we didn't really pass over each other by each other, but we no, were always in basically the same place. Well, while I was I was doing a little digging on uh, Ron stuff, and this Jerry, I got a, this question for you. I thought about it when I was I was going through. Um, all my information on the Mobile Territory. I came across a card in Dothan, and uh, Ron was on it. He and Terry Latham were against the Hells Angels on that card. It was a Knight of Champions type card. You were on the card. You were billed as the Georgia champion. I don't remember who you were wrestling, but also on the card was Jim Wilson. Did you travel down there with him? I bet. (laughs) I doubt that, sir. (laughs) <laughs> I saw I that. I thought Jerry and Jim Wilson at the same time. Both of them were in Georgia at the same at that point. I wonder if they came down here together. <laughs> I rode I rode with him a couple of times here in Georgia, and that that was no. I wouldn't have gone that far with him. <laughs> Jim Wilson is he the one that football player? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I barely knew him, but I do remember that name. Who are you looking at? Yeah, he's, now, a, he's the one that, that later on claimed that Barnett promised to put make him world champion if he'd sleep with him. Yeah. Which was Huey, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm was... living over here in uh, a little town north of, of uh, Panama City in Pensacola on the Alabama side. Called Op Alabama. Yep, I know where Op is. Uh, you don't 
too many people that know where it's at. They've never even heard of it, you know. Yeah, that was one of Rocky place. Rocky McGuire used to run op whenever he couldn't get get the farm center in Dothan. He would run op or New Brockton, and then New Brockton finally became a, a regular town. Yeah, um, I've run it a couple of for times. Him just myself. before it, it it went down, and uh, of course they ran Quincy. Now you were also you were back down in that territory um, later in your career, but by the time you came back, uh, it was. Uh, southeastern slash continental, and right. Ron Fuller had bought Lee Fields out, <clears throat> and uh, you were uh, you kind of replaced uh, Dennis Condry as Randy Rose's tag team partner in the Midnight right, Express. Right, Midnight deal. Express. Right. Yeah, so did that's you? Uh, a pretty good little run with him. Yeah, you guys. You guys. Uh, you know, people. To even, to the, the debate that goes on about. Uh, you know, which is a better version of the Midnight Express between Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton. I said neither one of them compared to Condry and and Rose, the original version of it, or even before they were the, the Midnight Express, because they really didn't become the Midnight Express until they added Norvell Austin. But right. Dennis and Randy had a long run down there before they ever came up with that concept, and uh, they were they were a tremendous team. Yeah, they were. And uh, of course, you basically took when you came in, you just added high. right to it. Yeah, we Randy and I, and Dan and Dennis Norvell, we we had a good little run there. Uh, uh, that's where I met my wife back then. Been with her for all these years. I don't know how you put up with it. <laughs> uh, that's what we say about Jerry's wife. But Jerry's wife, uh, she keeps him in line. She was a, a professional ice skater, so she just gets the blades out and threatens him with it whenever <laughs> he gets out of line. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, well, Ron, I'm going to let you catch your breath here and, and uh, talk to Rock a little bit. Rock, uh, how did you get involved with... Uh, with writing your uh, your involvement with Ron to write, help write his book and your book on uh, the San Francisco territory. We, Rock, are you there? No, it looks like he's yeah. dropped off. Let me see if he's called back in. Yeah, let me put him back on. He dropped off there for a minute. Hey Rock, I'm I'm steady asking you questions and don't even have you back on the air. Um, you there with us? Yes, I'm here. Okay, I, what I was asking and is uh, how did you get involved with uh, with Ron and helping him with his book and then also uh, writing the book on the uh, San Francisco territory? Uh, with Ron, I actually probably started maybe about 30 years or so before I even uh, uh, first talked to him, more than 30 years before, uh, when he pissed me off. Um, that was uh, It was back around 1980, and uh, I was probably about 11 years, 12 years old at the time, and uh, Ron was working there as a heel. And uh, he was just really different from any heel that I'd ever seen work because uh, he could wrestle. And he had a, an amazing way of being able to get heat by wrestling in the ring. And I think uh, one of the things that pissed me off about him was that 
he would boast about how good he was, but you couldn't deny it. You know, the guy didn't cheat. He didn't uh, do things that, that a lot of heels do in order to win the match. Uh, he would get arrogant by wrestling. He still did the little dirty things here and there, but it was mostly by wrestling. So it, it's kind of hard. Uh, it's difficult on a, on a guy who follows the baby faces uh, when the baby faces lose, not just because of cheating, but because the guy just basically out-wrestled. The heel out-wrestled your, your hero. So, um, But uh, flash forward to years later on, maybe I'd say probably about three and a half years ago, uh, Ron was uh, reaching out uh, for memorabilia regarding his career. Uh, he had just, uh, much of his books, uh, wrestling magazines, videotapes, in a house fire. And uh, so he reached out to me because he heard I had footage. Uh, we started talking about that. And from there, uh, I wrote a couple articles that he was helpful with uh, regarding his career. And it turned into a book. Did a good job on it, too. I've got, I'll have to double check, but I, uh, I've got uh, the complete run of uh, the WOW promotion out of Pensacola that Rip Tyler ran. I know you were there, too, Ron. I'll have to see. Right, I'm right. sure you're on there. And uh, I'll, if you don't have copies of that, I'll try and get some copies to you. Yeah, so I appreciate uh, that. And yeah, I've got well, a ton of pictures. Um, yeah. A lot of them that I have shared with Rock, um, but I've got a ton of pictures that Little Al took of you back when you were in uh, in Oklahoma, both as Mr. Wrestling and uh, um, as, as yourself, of course. And then I've, I've got one. I think you were Mr. America or Captain America. You're wearing a, a Patriot style, the red, white, and blue mask. And um, right. And so right. I've got yeah, uh, I've way. got those as well. You've been very helpful with little things like that. Uh, you know, through the process, we were getting the book uh, ready for publication. Uh, you sent me some pictures uh, that I hadn't seen And uh, Chris Swisher, who uh, who owned the uh, copyright, yeah. and, uh, yep. I contacted him. I contacted Chris, and he was nice enough to uh, share a few of those photos. In fact, um, two of the three photos that uh that comprised the cover for Ron's book uh came from Chris. The other one was was mine from from my personal collection uh that I own a copyright to but it was uh but it really helped to make the cover and I think the cover game came out great and uh, it shows stages in his career including uh, Mr. Wrestling. Well, I was telling before you got on the air, but I I read the uh, little, the excerpts that you sent me on both your your San Francisco book and Ron's and they have moved to the top of my uh, future reading list because uh, um, both of them just just look fantastic. And of course, you know, I, since I was familiar with with a lot of Ron's career and followed him from the time he came into Mobile in uh, '73, '74, whenever it was that he came into Mobile, and then following through the magazines through then, and then. Uh, Seen him at various, just videotape of him from San Francisco and and Portland and uh, Calgary and Puerto Rico and of course back when he was back with uh, Fuller, um, <clears throat> there we were just talking about when he was part of the Midnight Express, and then of course the, the WOW stuff that I've got. Um, <clears throat> out of all the territories you work, Ron, which which do you think? Uh, and I, I, this kind of puts people on the spot, but which did you enjoy the best? I think probably uh, when I was working for Shires, 
out in California. I really enjoyed that one. Back then, that's when I was had my motorcycle riding it to the matches, and by the time it was, you know, I'd go home that, that night after the matches. And I was living in uh, a town about 50 miles away. Got, it seemed like the temperature dropped about 60 degrees as soon as I got <laughs> on that motorcycle riding home imagine. at night. It, it was, temperatures were weird out there. You hot as hell going and freezing coming home. Now you, when you went into San Francisco, you, um, how long had you been there when you uh, won the uh, the annual Battle Royal? Was that fairly early in your run there? Or had you been there a bit? Uh, maybe six months or so. Okay, so you had been there. Sitting here looking at that picture now. I just looked up. I got that picture on the on my little shelf here of me holding up the trophy they presented, my trophy and and all that, and the commentator that gave me the trophy that night. I can't even remember his name. Oh yeah, that was uh, Alan Bolte. Yeah. Alan Bolte was the ring announcer. And you know what, Ron? I just found out coming back from uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club in Vegas, there's a friend of mine who runs a little small promotion up there in uh, in Eureka, California. It's like in the northern part of, uh, of Ron's, uh, excuse me, of Roy's territory up near Oregon. Right, right. They just uh, they stole the finish. They copied the, the finish to the Battle Royal that you that you won, and they used that. And uh, he said that they got a standing ovation at the little show that he put on uh, about a couple months back. All right. God, yeah, that was that was one of my favorite territories there in Oregon too. I really liked working the Oregon territory. Yeah, that was that was one of Jerry's favorites, wasn't it, Jerry? Working up there for yeah, Don I Owen. Really, yeah, I enjoyed it out there. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I tell you what, I'm starting to get short of breath here. Uh, All right. Me breathe, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna back out on it. Gary, it's nice talking to you again. You and too, Ron. Guys, take care of yourself. I will, bud. If you appreciate it, Ron. You take you. care of yourself. Thanks for doing the show with us. I appreciate you letting me. Oh, not a problem. Like to, always. And Rock Rhymes has got a, got a few books left, and I've got a couple here that. But I've got anybody that wants them, you can get the address or whatever from Rock, and, and we'll see to it that you get one. All right, and anytime you 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 got a permanent home here now, so anytime you want to be on the show, just let us know, and we'll uh, we'll make those arrangements for you. Okay, and you, you guys do them on Thursday every week? Thursday, yes, sir, every Thursday night from, from 8 to 10 Eastern time. Okay. So you're in That's Alabama, what, you're an hour behind us, so it's, it's right. a little earlier for you. All right. Yeah, All right, I, well, I take care, call. sir. Okay, guys. Hey, anybody sees Ed Moretti, tell him I said hello. Uh, give All him right. a call or whatever. I mean, you've got, you can give him my phone number or whatever. Let him give me a call. We'll get, we'll get that information to him, sure will. All right, well, I'm going to get off. You guys have a good one. You too. Thanks, Ron. Bye. All right. 
Rock, I talked to Bobby earlier today, and he's going to try and call in uh, this evening. He said he had a good conversation with you at the cool. CAC. Glad you guys were able to catch up. Uh, it was a blast for me to join uh, to uh, join Bobby and actually Charlie Smith. We were all sitting at the same table along with uh, Sean Maine, the younger brother of uh, Lonnie Moondog Maine. And, right. Uh, we had an excellent conversation. Just absolutely loved it. You know, for them, you know, one of the things that was great about working with Ron uh, on his book was he helped to further my education on Southern, uh, which uh, I have really become a big fan of. Um, I've gotten several DVDs. In fact, um, that same uh, WOW, you know, set that you were talking about, I had yeah. gotten that sometime uh, this last year. Uh, I... Uh, 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 Rex Luther, who was promoting uh, there with a rip that he was doing with Mississippi Towns. He was basically a kid at the time. He was uh, kind enough to send me some of those discs. And just some amazing stuff. And uh, our other, uh, 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 Williamson, a huge fan, uh, very knowledgeable Southern wrestling, also sent me some Southern, uh, some DVDs from Southeastern and uh, some of the other promotions down south. And uh, really exciting product. And uh, so it was good uh, meeting uh, Charlie and uh, Charlie Smith, and uh, and just, it was just a great conversation, a great dinner, and uh, you know, uh, hopefully uh, your partner can join us a little later on. Yeah, there. Uh, when I talked to them, uh, I guess it was about uh, two o'clock or so. I talked to Bobby, and he they were um, at the Hoover Dam. And they were going from there to Winslow, Arizona, and they were going to stand on a street corner. And uh, I said, well, what are you guys going to do if a girl in a flatbed Ford drives by? None of you are going to be able to do anything with her. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's uh, Bobby uh, and uh, Scrappy again, and I, I tuned Randy Corrin who worked in the office. Went on the air. Uh, I tuned yeah. in a few minutes after your show, went, your show went on the air, so I don't know if it was mentioned that uh, – that Bobby won the Charlie Smith Referee Award. Yeah. He was presented with that uh, last night. A very hard, emotional speech. Yeah, he and, he and Smitty have known each other a long time. And Smitty, we give him we give him a hard time, but we wouldn't know what to do without him. I tell you, he's a, he's a unique person. But... Uh, Oh, yeah. you, he had thought about it. he was going to ride back with them, but I, I think he decided to fly because it looks like the last time he he was mentioned, Jason Sanderson, our father Jason Sanderson, said that he had ran mm-hmm. into him on the uh, in the airport in New Hampshire. And I'm thinking to myself, now that's that's how airlines work. You're flying from Las Vegas to to Atlanta, and you got a layover in New Hampshire. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> very logical, huh? <laughs> yeah. But Charlie anyway, could have got on the wrong plane. Well, that's true too. But he probably yeah, followed he some there. girl onto an airplane. Yeah, hey, it happens to the best of us. Um, so, and, and what you were talking about, how you first became aware of Ron? Obviously, you grew up a wrestling fan then. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm taking you. You're from the San Francisco area. Actually, I'm from uh, from LA area. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a funny story how I got started on the San Francisco book. But, uh, yeah, I grew up in the L.A. area, a uh, uh, fan, uh, <laughs> going to attending matches at the Olympic Auditorium and some of the other smaller venues. 
so uh, the Michael Bell promotion at that time. Right. And so uh, I was about 11, 12 years old when Ron, when Ron came in in 1980. It was the tail end of the territory, so it was really refreshing uh, to have him in there because the territory had been dying. And so he gave it a boost for a little while during the time he was there, and he was a very, very unique heel. I mean, we were used to people like John Tolis and Freddie Blassie, Roddy Piper, amazing legends and, and great heels. But they're very different personality-wise. I mean, they were loud, bombastic. Uh, basically, you consider them as crazy men. Ron was just more of a straightforward, hard-nosed, uh, kind of soft-spoken heel, but one that you had to take very seriously. You know, and of course, you know, he can get heat by wrestling in the ring, which is also very unique. Well, that was, and I, we've mentioned on this show before that uh, that was that was Bill Miller's motto that the best way to get heat is to be a wrestling heel and show that you've got the talent and then when people get upset well you man this guy's a great wrestler why does he have to take those shortcuts and that would get more heat on him another one like that was like that that i'm sure um ron uh saw and crossed paths with was buddy colt oh yeah buddy colt uh, was, 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 was was very much a wrestling heel, and you know it would it would be when he was starting to lag behind a little bit. Got somebody was getting ahead of him a little bit. That's when he'd pull out the little you know he he started the tape thumb before. Uh, actually, I think Luke Graham was the first one to do it, and then uh, uh, Colt did it, and then Ernie Ladd did it. <clears throat> but you know, but he would always start the match. He wouldn't start as a as a you know kicking and punching, which is you know mm-hmm. about all they do anymore, but uh, yeah, that's true. But, you know, yeah, and that that's, that's psychology, and Ron was a master mm-hmm. of it. Um, oh, or was it you know, is just what's missing from today's today's business? Yeah, what he was was he was a sponge. I mean, he he worked around some great people. In fact, Buddy was one of the guys who actually broke him in to the business, and. Uh, and then, of course, you know, he had influences like the Torres brothers. And in, in Georgia, he had such great people that he can watch, both as the faces and the heels. You know, he had a, yep. uh, Bob Armstrong, Mr. Wrestling. Uh, he had people like Dickie Steinborn. Then he had the Assassins. And, uh, you know, so there was some, some great baby faces and great heels that he learned from. And he would just go out there. His habit throughout his whole career was to go out there. And, and even when he became a main event star, was watch all the matches, you know. All the matches aside from his, he'd go out there and sit in the back of the arena and watch and, and try to soak up everything like a sponge and learn, you know. Uh, and a very different, again, mentality than you have from a lot of young guys that basically think they know everything just because they lost, they watched the last edition of Raw, you know. Yeah. How many times have we said that, Jerry? Uh, every week. <laughs> well, I want to tune into your show a lot more often then. Yeah, I mean, that's what uh, we, um, you know, that, that – even in the late 70s when I was breaking in, that's how you learn. I mean, that's what you were required to do. If, if you were an opening card guy, which which I was, um, you know, once you once you got done with your match and showered and, and dressed, your your spot was standing outside the dressing room doors watching the other matches. And you didn't leave until the last match. I mean, that was pretty much required of us but that, because that's how you learned. You learn that, and you learn working with guys of different, uh, you know, different calibers, different styles. I mean, I worked babyface, mm-hmm. I worked heel, you know, and I learned um, 
from all of it. And of course, I was nowhere near as successful and, and wasn't in the business as long as Ron or, or my partner here, Jerry Oates. Um, I mean, and that's just that's how you learned. And uh, Jerry learned by by, by them uh, putting him with Duke Kiyomoka and uh, Han Schmidt, his first few matches, and Lou Fez, and that when he didn't quit, they decided, hey, this kid may stay. He may work out. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's basically that's also another way that you learned too. They, they they tested your metal, you know. They went ahead and they put you to the ringer. Well, it, it, I mean, it was it was even tough getting in, you know. Very, yeah, that's another thing. That we're, yeah, we were talking about that at the CSC. Uh, one of the subjects uh, uh, also too was the, the difference between uh, now and then. Was uh, then it was very difficult. The business was protected. Uh, it wasn't easy for you to get in. Now, I mean, you got schools on every corner, and uh, they'll take your money as long as you got the money. They'll take you in. Yeah, and the so, guys but, training uh, training people have had about fifty matches in over five years, <laughs> but they're you know they're professionals and they can train. Somebody, um, I don't know if, if you know your research with Ron stuff because I'm not sure uh, this guy was around, but I think he was a referee when. Uh, when Ron was down in Mobile, is uh, Ricky Fields. Ricky Fields told me one time, oh, yeah. the wrestling business is like the mafia. It's hard as hell to get into, but once you're in, it's it's even harder to get out of. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that sounds about right from everything that I've heard. Not only can you not get it out of your system and out of your blood, which is why we mm-hmm. all do this show every week, because we're all long out of the business itself, but right after, you know, whenever you decide to quit, there's always somebody calls you and says, hey, can you do this shot or, hey, can you do this shot? I mean, Jerry gets gets people at least once a week that want him to train them to get in the wrestling business. Well, yeah. yeah. I don't know when the last time you, somebody called you to, to actually have a match, Jerry, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure it hasn't been that long ago. Well, you know, as far as the training, you know, since, you know, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm honest with the guys. You know, I said I, I can train you, but then when I get through with you, where are you going to go? And then for what I would charge him, it would take them, you know, 15 years to get their money back. You know, so that's I, I, I just don't do it, I, and I won't do it. I would love to. No, do that, it, and but for for you to train somebody properly, like when you train Marty Janetti, how long did it? Take, I mean, you didn't train him for six weeks and cut him loose or send him somewhere or take him somewhere. He was with you over a year, wasn't he? Over a year, yes. And, and, and yeah. you know, it was – my thing was when I did – you know, I trained a lot of guys that never had a match. And I, and I told them, I said, either you're going to have it or you don't. You know, I can't promise you anything. And And – when I would turn a guy loose, I didn't want him going different parts of the country and, you know, him not be what he was supposed to be and say, who trained you and use my name. Right. And, you know, it was, I mean, that wasn't fair to the person I was training or or to myself either. So, no, I, I, I you know, if it was the way it was, which it's not, you know, I, I would still be interested in doing that. But, I mean, that I couldn't, you know, after you start for a little while, the first thing they ask you, how much can I make? Well, you know, that's, yeah. there's only one place to go to make any kind of money now, and that's 
your chance of getting in there slim and none. So, you know, if they don't train you, they're not going to take you. So I guess that's the way it is. I don't know. But, but I, you know, I train several people and quite a few people. And But, you know, it's, it's, um, today, no, uh, I could have a school somewhere, but uh, not uh you know, somebody come back with a gun one day, and this all I'm gonna make. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's just not, it's not fair. You know, I, I just tell them, you know, when I go work out, I've had people ask me, you know, nah, I said I don't do that anymore. You know, just kind of not fluffing them off, but there's no need of getting into something they wouldn't understand. You know, exactly. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know anybody that, you know, I guess you've got to have even more to try. As hard as it was for us to get in the business, and it took a lot of determination and a lot of attempts and, and, you know, no's before we finally, you know, convinced somebody to give us a chance and work with us. And I guess as, as bad as it is now, unless you want to be, you know, work at a, a an independent promotion in front of 15 20 people and and not make anything but you know that it's just uh i, I just don't i don't see why anybody would even want to attempt it i, I don't either yeah I, I can only go by how hard it was for me to get in and i had a brother-in-law in the business right and and you know I know what I had to go through, so. But just, just, just to take somebody's money, nah, I, I don't want that on my conscience. I mean, it's. it's I hear you. You're just doing an injustice. That's all. You know, especially nowadays, because like you said, there's, there's really nowhere for them to go, and if, you know, there's no sense I mean, in training them, and 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 you can only do so much with with when you train them. If they decided, well, you know, I want to learn how to do it, and I w- I'm willing to start in the independence or whatever, but they may get in a ring with somebody who's had an hour and a half worth of, you know, running the ropes as they're training and can hurt them, you know? Well, I mean, it, it's, yeah, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, I mean, to train somebody today, I wouldn't even, I only know one way to train somebody, you know, I, I, I even as good a worker as Gennady became, you know, he learned stuff that he did that I never taught him. You know, yeah. he had that ability. I taught him the basics, and, and then, you know, then whatever you can uh, acquire on your own, that's, you know, that's like me. When Dickie trained me, he didn't teach me every move there was. Because he didn't do every move, I, and I couldn't do some of the things he did. That's just the way it is. But, like but a lot of, like you said, after you've got the basics and everything, back to to what I was saying, a lot of of your further training and further learning or learning comes from working with with guys that you know, veterans or or guys that are, are professionals that that know how to take care of you, know how to lead you through a match, know how to, you know, and if you do something wrong or are willing to take the time to pull you aside and say, hey, you know, 
uh, like I remember the, the first few matches I had, I was I was so keyed up and so nervous, I couldn't slow down. I I would blow up getting in the ring because I was so keyed up. And finally, I worked with, uh, um, I think it was Greg Peterson or somebody. It might have been Don Fargo. I'm not. Don't remember who it was, but they pulled me aside. And said, slow down, man. Just slow down. Take your time. Calm down. You know. <laughs> we got ten minutes to go and whatever, and and just slow down. And that 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 helped me tremendously. You know. Well, but if you well, if you right. get even if you get the proper training and go to work at some you know. In some car lot somewhere with a guy who doesn't know what he's doing, and all he wants to do is, is, you know, jump through tables and stuff like that. He can, he's going to hurt you as much as himself. And it's, it's just, it's. You only get out of it what you put into it, and and you know it. The the, the training part is, if if you don't get that basics from the start, you'll never get them. You'll right. never get them. Well, the territory days sound better and better all the time, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it, it was unbelievable. I mean, because you know you never got stale anywhere because there was you know and there was thirty forty places you could go, not not and, and, not counting you know Australia or Japan or or ever how you got you know somebody would would hear about you and want you to go over there. Um, yeah. And uh, new rosters to work with. You know, you get new rosters to work with, and as a result, exactly. you get more experience. You pick up more stuff. You learn more from more people. Um, you, you know, your but you also you learn diverse. you learn the the fans of that particular area because the fans in New York, you know, they were so used to kick punch, kick punch, kick punch, that yeah. the, because that's mm-hmm. all they saw. Mm-hmm. You know, you couldn't take that. And a perfect example, Roberto Soto told me one time. He and his brother Manny, um, before Manny went to New York, they mm-hmm. were a very popular team. You know, they were in Louisiana. They came through Mobile. They were in uh, in Florida. They were – I don't know if they ever worked Georgia together, but but they were a good popular team, you know, kind of, kind of similar to the Torres brothers. Um, and both of them were, were, you know, knew how to wrestle, knew how to, you know, do the flying stuff and all that stuff. Well, Manny, after they split up, Manny went to New York to work for Vince Sr. And uh, he was up there for three or four years and and everything. And then uh, uh, Roberto was in uh, working for Crockett, had just gone into work for Crockett. And um, I don't know if it it was, I think it was Jim Crockett Jr. by that time, um, asking if he could get in contact with his brother and bring his brother in there, but they were going to bring him not in as as Manny Soto. They were going to put him under a mask and call him El Rayo. So they did that, brought Manny in and everything, and booked them in matches. I don't remember who he, Roberto said they were working with, but uh, they were planning a, you know, a good program with the two of them. Manny got in there, and all he couldn't wrestle anymore. All he knew how to do was punch and kick, and put, but the, the Charlotte fans, and Jerry can tell you this because he worked there so much, the Charlotte fans were used to seeing wrestling. You know, that punch and kick stuff didn't didn't fly with them, you know, unless mm-hmm. it was it, towards the end of a match or, you know, a, a blow-off or something like that. But, but you know, just in, to start off a match that way, 
And so, uh, but Manny couldn't, at first he blamed it on the mask, said he couldn't breathe, you know, and all that stuff. And then, so they let him take the mask off, and he did the same thing. He could not wrestle anymore. All he knew how to do was punch and kick, that New York style. So Crockett fired both of them. <laughs> Roberto said, I had just gotten into this territory. I'd always wanted to go in, and my brother blew it for me because <laughs> he couldn't wrestle anymore. But, but boy, back to what I was saying, you learn the fans – as to what got a reaction out of them. Uh, the Mobile Territory was a lot like Tennessee. They had wild, crazy, you know, you know, blood bass and everything else. But then when you go to Florida, you come to Georgia, you go to the Carolinas, those were wrestling territories. Um, Watts was pretty much a combination. You know, he had the brawlers like Jim Duggan and, and people like that, but he had wrestlers like DiBiase and Orndorff as well, and, and their Orndorff was a wrestling heel. Um, and, and, Jerry, as much as you work with, with uh, Dickie Murdoch and uh, Carl Cox, both of them were wrestling heels, right? Well, Cox was a little kind of because of his, his character was a little goofy, but for the most part they both would wrestle until they didn't start the match punching and kicking. No, they didn't. And, and getting back to the, uh, you know, with somebody starting out, it, you know, everybody thinks the era was the era, you know. But, like, when I started in Florida, you know, Dickie had taught me, you know, trained me. And and, and how how you learned, especially when you're starting out, working with guys that had been working, and that, that was a working territory, Florida. And that's, you know, and then – you know, I left there, and you come to Georgia, and it's the same thing. You you working with guys that can work. That's how you, if you had the basics, and had the ability, that's how you really learn, working with good workers. And you know, like today, you turn a guy loose, and who's he gonna work with? That's, yeah, that's the issue. That I mean, that's the way I look at it. You you, you could only if if you had great ability. How if you don't. If you don't get in the ring with guys that are more than you, how are you going to learn, you know, timing and when and when should you do this or that? I mean, it's but – that, but that's not the way it is today, evidently. But but that's, that's what it was about then. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There again, it, it, it takes that veteran presence of somebody new that – that can kind of lead you, and and you learn from that because once you do one stupid thing in the ring, you know, and you're you, they kind of tell you about it. You learn it stays in the back of your head never to do that again in the proper way to uh, to take a particular bump or do a particular maneuver, or whatever, because you've been you've been taught how to do it. And I think a lot of it today's business seems to be so dog eat dog and cutthroat. And, and don't get me wrong, it was there was a lot of guys like that back in our day, too, but there were a whole lot more that were, were secure in their position on the card, I should say, that, that they weren't scared about helping you. I mean, there were a few that were afraid you might take their spot so they wouldn't help you, but I'd say it was was that was nowhere near as prevalent as the ones that were willing to help you, wouldn't you? I, I, I agree with that, yes. But it was uh, it, it, it was it was a fun thing to learn, and and you know you didn't learn it overnight. And every time you'd go somewhere new, you'd see somebody that 
especially like me, you'd seen them in the magazines as a kid, and you, know, you and sometimes you were you couldn't believe it, and then sometimes you couldn't believe it the other way either. How did this guy be in the magazines every time they come out, and they wasn't what you saw, yeah. and, you know, actually in person, you know, so you know they're working ability. But I would imagine you learned a lot from watching guys like Tom and Jody work on the heel side, and then. You know, the guys that, uh, you know, weren't weren't big names or, or, you know, I know guys that you came across later on that, that were not big names, weren't not, uh, well-known by a whole lot of people. But, say, Johnny Eagles, watching him, you had to learn something because the guy knew everything. Tony Charles was another one. Him and Thornton, and I know the first, the first time I went to, I, I'd only been in the business like a year and a half, full-time. And I went to Japan the first time. And I was over there with a, a guy named Charles Verholtz. He was from Belgium. He had that European style, of course. And he had moves that I'd never seen before. And hadn't seen since. Yeah. And, of course, I took one of his moves. And my first <laughs> night back from, from Japan when I got to Augusta, Georgia, it was, where'd you get that move from? <laughs> <laughs> I brought up all the guy that had it. I mean, you know, that that's how you learn, you know. Exactly. That's how you learn. And and like you said earlier, watching. Dickie always told me, watch different guys. Not that you want to be him, but his theory was you take something from this guy, you take something from that guy, you take you know, not be a be a ox baker or be a be a Dick the Bruiser or or, or the Sheik, or a Dory Funk, or a Jack Briscoe, but you take something from everybody, and you that becomes you. You know, you've got this move or that move or there, whatever. That's the way you learn, like you said, watching. Well, guys, Not we got uh, got Bobby person. Simmons on the line with us, and speak with him a little bit before he uh, he drops off. Where are you, are you still rolling, Bobby? Or are you you guys landed anywhere? No, we're rolling. We're coming up on Flagstaff, Arizona. We're, uh, Flagstaff. We have been to the Grand Canyon today, and uh, we're uh, our next stop at about 70 miles in Winslow, Arizona. We're going to stop <laughs> to the statue they put up for the Eagles song. Take it easy. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing good, though. We're rolling. We had a good time. Oh, good. We got uh, got Rock. Rock is your last name. I always thought it was Rims because that's the way it's spelled. But Ron said Rhyme, which is the proper way of, yeah, of pronouncing well, it. I, you know, well, you know, say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So I'm, you know, I give up on telling Ron how to, how to pronounce it correctly. It's Rock Rims. It is Rock Rims. Well, okay. I'm, I want to make sure better him saying it wrong than me. But uh, Rock's on with us, uh, Bobby, and he was. Uh, Telling us about your your award and everything. How did that go? It went very well. Very well. I was very honored, and uh, uh, it was uh, we had a good time. We seen a lot of people, and uh, uh, just uh, you have to. Everybody needs to come one time. This is one of those things where uh, you just uh, it's not like a normal reunion. It's, it's the fans are involved, and. Uh, you get to meet people from all over the country that are still trying to work in the independent circuits and, and uh, uh, share ideas. They have seminars to try to help them. And, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. 
but uh, yeah, I was very honored to get this award. And, uh, uh, Matt, I played Magic, I Kelly Blanchard, and Kevin Von Erich, and uh, uh, the Cuban assassin, Fidel Sierra, and uh, uh, Dave Melder. So, yeah, it was a great night. Then I see Jerry Briscoe was out there this this did you get to speak to Jerry any? Yep, Jerry came over, he came in, he got there uh he got there Tuesday night as the uh Blowny Bowl I was starting, he came over and spoke to me and Charlie. Got got to talk to him a little bit. Uh spent some time with Tully Blanchard, spoke about Big Tully since we worked together with Ann Dunkelson was it back in nineteen seventy three, seventy four. So uh it was fun talking to him, and Jim Dillon was here, J.J. Dillon, and uh, uh, we just, uh, to be honest, I can't remember who all was there, there was a bunch of folks there. Well, good, I'm glad you guys had a good time, I'm jealous I didn't get to make the trip, but it's always next year, something to plan. Yep, yep, and and, and one of the highlights of that trip was, our former guest, Don Lipsky, I've actually got my hands around her and on her, and she kissed me on the cheek twice, so it was well, that was worth the ride. <laughs> He's talking about Don Lipsky. Oh, yeah. She's, uh seems like a sweet lady. Randy said, Randy said eat your heart out, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Oh, how right, my back friend Gary Oates? I haven't talked to you in six months. Are you okay, bud? Jerry, you there? Yes. Hey, Bobby was asking how you were doing. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good, and congratulations on your award. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. But the, I'm, the, I'm, the, the last time, the last time I passed through Flagstaff, Arizona. I tried to get a room there at midnight, and I couldn't get a room. The Indians were having a powwow, <laughs> and I had to go from there to Albuquerque to get a room. Oh, uh, I mean a flagstaff. I'm sorry. We were going to stay in. Uh, we were going to stay in uh, Pigman, Arizona, Friday night. We weren't going to go into Vegas until Saturday, and uh, we tried to get a room in Pigman, Arizona, Friday night, and there wasn't a room to be had. And the one we found. They wanted $165 for it. So we went on into Vegas and stayed there. We were there from Friday night to uh, three this morning. So we had a good time. And everybody left with their, with their pants intact. Nobody lost their drawers. So uh, y'all uh, say a little prayer for our buddy Charlie. I don't know if he's listening tonight or not. He left us. He was real sick when he left this morning. I talked to him this afternoon. He had made it home, but he sounded real weak. He just... Uh, he got sick yesterday. Not sure what happened, but uh, uh, he's back home. So I talked to him about this going to bed. Yeah, he's not. He's not on, on with us. So. He's not. Yeah, he's, and it was a pleasure to meet Mr. Rams the other night. He came over and said, "With us for a while, we talked, and uh, he did his end of the show with us." And uh, it's nice. To, it's actually nice to put a face with a guest sometimes. So. That was nice as well. Yeah, he said he enjoyed spending time with Charlie. I said, "Well, you don't know him that well. You didn't. You didn't yeah, spend enough time with him. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's not around long enough to dislike him, so, yeah. 
<laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to let you go and get back to your conversation. I will be home next week. Hope to be back with you. And uh, uh, you guys have a have a great trip. Okay, uh, have a good show, and I will see you next week. All right, Bobby. Bobby. Take care. Take care of yourself, Bobby. Well, back to what we were talking about. How did you decide on the San Francisco territory, Rock, to write about? Um, well, you know what? There was a, uh, a a Facebook group on the online uh, about California classic wrestling, and so they pretty much were talking about LA, but they started including the, uh, the Roy Shires San Francisco territory as well as they as they added members. And I was just fascinated uh, by the enthusiasm and the passion that these fans had. Uh, for Roy's product, and also just when I started learning more about, I mean, I knew of the workers. I had even had some of the footage from from the from the late seventies. Well, I learned more about the the his story angles, the way he booked things, and just I just marveled at, at his genius because everything was logical. If you had a cage match, there was a reason why you had the cage match. If you had a lumberjack match, it was a reason why you had the lumberjack match because. Everything made sense. It wasn't just because because you didn't have it for a while. Uh, we wanted to go ahead and pop the gates or something different. Um, the lumberjack match was because the guys had got counted out in the previous match. Um, the cage right. match might be because someone had outside interference. And, and Roy's cage matches were a little bit different. Uh, the object wasn't for you to exit the ring in order to win. It was to keep you from leaving the ring and to keep exactly. you from the outside getting into it, you know. And uh, so everything made sense, you know. Every, every match was different. You can have five or six matches with the same guys. Uh, show uh, Every show he ran was about three or four weeks at the Cow Palace on the average. Uh, maybe five or six a little bit. So you about three or four in a row, and you wanted to go back. There was a reason for you to go back. It wasn't because he, he didn't have anything else to headline the show. It was because it made sense in the sequence of the storyline for you to go exactly. back. Because, uh, and so it was, it was just phenomenal and you know Roy actually and, and Roy learned a lot too he picked up from a lot of people and he had an innate ability you know uh, that he can pick up things but at the same time he learned from a lot of I mean he was working all over the place he worked in Georgia um, uh, he actually started building himself as being from Atlanta when he was teaming with uh, Ray Stevens uh, back in uh, 59 and 60 um, and uh, so when I heard about this I had originally intended to write a book on the Southern California Territory, which is what I grew up with, but there was two or three other people who had been talking about they were going to do the same thing. And I said, okay, well, you know what? I really want to do that, but it sounds like somebody will if I don't. And, and I'm of the belief that every significant territory should have a story told. So I said, you know, no one's going to do one in Northern California. I'm going to do it. And that's essentially what happened, you know, and uh, it's gotten uh, – I had a lot of people chip in, I mean, because we always say that pro wrestling history, it's, uh, it takes a village to put it together. You need the help of a lot of different people um, yep. to different degrees and in order to get the story right, to get a more complete picture. And uh, so I, I did have a lot of people contributing photographs, uh, some of which had never been published before. Uh, a lot of people were enthused that someone was going to shine a spotlight on this territory that they grew up with because California really didn't get a lot of attention in the wrestling magazines. And when they did, it was usually uh, L.A. that got the attention rather than San Francisco. And uh, so they were very excited about it. And 
I've gotten a lot of great support, and it got released last October. And uh, you know, for when you self-publish a book, if it's not you know uh, published by ECW Press or by the WWE, um, you're going to have a rough go up. But but uh, it's actually been tremendously successful. I've gotten a lot of great feedback, a lot of response, a lot of people have shown interest in it, and. Uh, I took copies of the Cauliflower Alley Club. I didn't want to set up a vending table because I didn't want to get stuck at a table. I wanted to, It was my first time there. I wanted to be able to roam around and talk to people and uh, meet people. And uh, But still, I kept going up to my room to get copies of the book because people kept buying them from me. So, um, And Ron's book as well, too. So uh, it really has been – it's something I really – I pretty much scratched something off my bucket list to write something about the San Francisco Territory, and uh, it covers 100 years. So it's it's a lot of ground. There's a lot of history there. It's not just about San Francisco because when you go back further enough, you're actually reading about the history of the business and how it developed, you know, um, the NWA before that when you had the trust. Uh, so, you know um, – and you see the attempts at national expansion long before Vince ever, you know, ever attempted something like that. Right, right. Well, just from what I've the the excerpt that I read of it, it's it's a fascinating book because, like you said, you go all the way back to uh, Joe Malkowitz and you know his days as a wrestler before he became the promoter there in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and he was the promoter, of course, before Roy Shires. Um, but I've always, Jerry, you were only in, you only did that one shot. And did you ever work San Francisco? I know you worked L.A. one time. Did you ever work, get to work San Francisco? No, no. and, and I, I was going to tell him that he couldn't have picked a better territory to write about. I, I never worked there. I always wanted to. I don't, you know, I don't know when Shires shut it down, but everybody I heard it, that went there, you know, Dickie was there, Owen Stevens was there, and Lothario was there, and, you know, I heard nothing but great things, and, and he, you know, you you picked a great territory to write about, but because I, I heard nothing, you know, Shires was a no-nonsense owner, you know, and and everything you said that I've ever heard about him, guys that work for him, that is true, you know, he ran it. Way it should have been run. He ran it. I, I'm, I'm, of course, I never met him. You know, like Eddie ran Florida. You know, there was no nonsense. Well, that's I was about to say. I've always heard the two of them compared, as far as how they work their finishes, the logicalness of, of if that's a word, the logic behind everything that they did. Going back to what Rock was saying, you know, the type of matches that they had made sense. They meant something. Um, they meant something exactly. It's, it's, but, Rocket, it, as you learn more about the territory days, there was usually, depending on the booker you had, there was there were certain bookers who everybody wanted to work for um, and enjoyed working for. Leo Garibaldi's name will come up a lot. Frankie Kane's name, mm-hmm. Louis Tillette, people like mm-hmm. this, um, uh, the guy that booked most of the, the Gulf Coast territory when I was growing up uh, in that area, Bob Kelly, you know, mm-hmm. these guys plan things six weeks out. I know Kelly Kelly told me that he had a a in the wrestling office, the, the wrestling office there in Mobile was was actually an old house. And he had one bedroom that was his what he called his, his uh program room. He kept uh-huh. the chalkboard up on the on this and he kept that door locked. He was the only one that had a key to it and 
He was the booker. Lee Fields, who was the owner of the territory, didn't even have a key to go in there. He was not allowed to go in that room because Bob would lay. He said he would lay things out for six, eight weeks in advance from the very first match to um, to the end of the thing. And, and a perfect example of, um, in fact, the best example of how his how his booking went. Um, was when uh, Sputnik and Rocket Monroe, no, it wasn't, it was Rocket and Flash Monroe, were working with uh, the team of, of Rip Tyler and Eddie Sullivan mm-hmm. in Mobile. They started, uh, this this angle started building. They had a, a tag team match. It was the second match on the card. It was a, it was a one-fall 15-minute match. It went to a 15-minute Broadway. They brought it back the next week. With a 30-minute time limit, they went to a 30-minute Broadway. It moved up the card one match. It went to the third match on the card. The next week, it was the fourth match on the card. Went to a one one. You went to a 45-minute Broadway. The following week, it was a semifinal. It went to a 60-minute Broadway. Five weeks down the road, now they go to the main event, and it's a 90-minute Broadway. Then they bring it back. They brought in Sputnik Monroe because they they did an angle where Flash was hurt, so they brought in Sputnik Monroe. Sputnik hadn't been in the Mobile Territory in 12 years. So that that popped the houses in the middle of this thing building, and uh, the blow-off was finally a cage match. Where the, and the way they did it, though, you, instead of just having just a cage match, they set it up to um, – they they set the time limit back where it started in 15 minutes. And whichever mm-hmm. team scored the most falls in that 15 minutes won the match. I mean, that's just that's just how Kelly thought about stuff, and it, and it made sense. It just built and built and built, and then when this thing was was um, starting off, he was looking to replace the, the the current program that he had running main events, which was Ma Bass, which was a female wrestler named Mae Weston, mm-hmm. working against Moolah. They ran them for four weeks and had a cage match blow-off at the end of that four weeks between the two of them. Now, two ladies in the 70s working main event. That was unheard of, especially yeah. for a four-week program. But it drew money. And then when that, when that, final, that blow-off died, it was time for the, the, uh, the Tyler Sullivan and Monroe thing fell right in place because it had been building the whole time. So you you kept that consistency going, and that's how uh, Jerry can tell you how working with Leo Garibaldi and with Tom Ernesto is another one. Um, Jerry, I don't know, did you ever work for Tillette or um, yes. um, he was, Frankie he Kane? Was, he was uh, not for Frankie. Worked with Frankie a lot, but not as a booker. But uh, when I started in Florida, uh, Louis Tillette was the booker. He gave me my first match. He was there when I left. So, you know, after I left there. So, yeah, Louie Louis was very good. And, and all the guys you mentioned, you know, like Kelly and Tom and Leo, you know, it, and, and it, they would always, I know especially Leo, he wouldn't, I mean, he'd build matches like from the first match on, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just, that's, and, and I'm sure uh, Roy Shires did the same thing. I mean, it was more. It was interest in everything, not just the main event. You know, a little interest here, a little interest there. You know, 
but that, that's that's almost that's a lost art. It, it, it's a lost art. Yeah, the the and you can probably tell say whether or not this is true, but I always heard Leo carried a book of every finish of every match he was ever in or every match he ever booked. I'm sure he, he kept did. a notebook with every finish that he knew in that, and he'd pull one out and and that, plug it into here and plug it into there. Um, Ron was talking about you know his favorite growing up was Tim Woods. Bobby's told this story on on the uh, on our show before when Gene Kaniski was um, world champion. Um, he was booked into coming into Atlanta to, to defend the world title against Tim Woods. Where well. A couple of days prior to that or a week prior to that, I don't know how long before that, Tim was involved in an incident in Columbus, which was Jerry's hometown. Jerry, you, you were probably there. I um, was there. What was the guy's name, Gene Spurlock? Arnold Sperlin. Arnold Spurlock. He was a local, you know, tough that everybody knew in Columbus, and he was forever challenging the guys. So Tim finally said, you know, come on and ring. And uh, he bit Tim's finger off, or part of Tim's finger off. And um, so how that played into, everybody knew about it because it made the paper and everything. And, you know, it was built up and everything. And it was, Leo, I think, was was booking then. Took that, since everybody knew about it, he, he worked it into the Kaniski match where Tim was ahead of the whole match, you know, just on the verge of winning the title, until Kaniski got the uh, idea to grab his finger and start working over his finger, and he made him submit. Something that simple. Working over a finger is all you need. Especially since everybody knew that he had been injured, that he'd had that finger injured because of the incident in Columbus. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take, you know, rocket ships and everything else to make a a wrestling match interesting. And, And... you know that I draw back to the comparison between Eddie Graham and and Roy Shire. I'd heard about both of them. They were very their their finishes and and everything were very complicated, but it still made it was it was simple but complicated. If you know if that makes any sense, because you know they just it's just the way they were. They were very step by step by step, and uh, you know. It's like Ole. Ole was his finishes sometimes were so long you'd have to write it down and memorize it before <laughs> you'd forget about it, or the referee'd forget about it. Going from the the heels dressing room where Ole gave him the finish to the babyface dressing room to share what it was, they'd have to go back and ask again. But uh, yeah, it's that's that's a lost art, and that's that. It's lost. I mean, that's where it all begins. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have somebody guiding, coaching that, and it's like a, a football team or a baseball team, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have somebody, you know, deciding how to apply it and making the decisions, it's not. It's just, you know, it's it's a free for all. Yeah, it, 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 it makes no sense. You know, you got to have a leader of a leader of the ship. In yep. fact, uh, getting back to Shires in San Francisco, how often did he run the Cow Palace? A month. Did we lose Rock? Yeah, he dropped off. Let me get him back on here. Okay. Uh,
You back, Rock? I'm sorry, we keep it keeps yeah. dropping off. Jerry was asking, yeah. how often did uh, did Roy run the Cow Palace? Roy run, run the Cow Palace every every three week, three or four weeks. So actually, on the average, about once a month. But it was usually about every three weeks or so he ran. Um, everything else he ran around the territory. Um, you had a main storyline that you had there in uh, in San Francisco that they used a TV for to to uh, push that that storyline. But it was really genius was that he only had title matches at two venues. One was uh, was Sacramento, which is the second largest venue, and you had it at the Cow Palace. So everything always led up. Even though people went to the shows at the at the, at the other venues, uh, everything always led up to the Cow Palace. That was the plum of the territory. So he only ran it three or, three or four weeks. His his model was it's you know regarding storylines, angles. Uh, uh, regarding running at the Cow Palace, only 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 so often was it's kind of like cake because if you get too much of it, because you get used to it, and you kind of lose the taste for it. So, right. Um, but he was tremendous. I mean, for years he was selling out that uh, Cow Palace show after show, breaking record after record, and it was a good sized venue. I mean, he sold about uh, fifteen thousand uh, max capacity, and uh, you know he, he made a lot of money. Very successful. Uh, the most successful territory during the early cities uh, west of the Mississippi. And the thing oh, that also sure. that was semi-unique about San Francisco is they only had two titles. They had the U.S. heavyweight title, was their singles title, and they had their version of the world tag team titles. Absolutely, you know? and the world tag team t- they were only defended at certain venues. Um, the, the U.S. title, again, maybe on at Sacramento, at, uh, and we're talking about over a dozen venues, and also not including where, when he ran in uh, Las Vegas or in Nevada. Um, so essentially you only defended the, the U.S. title at certain venues, and when the champion showed up at the other venues, he wouldn't take the belt with them. Same thing with the World Tag Team belt. And that was built to show the importance of those titles that it, it wasn't running the mill. It wasn't something that you can see on a regular basis. So anytime you saw a title match, it was impressed upon the, the wrestling fans that this was something truly special. Now, what were some of his other time? I know he had Modesto was one, wasn't it? Yes, Modesto was a, a little small town. And, again, one of the things that you miss about the territory is, is that every venue within the circuit had its own distinct personality, its own ambiance, which is special. I mean, um Pepper Martin, you know, who, uh, who worked for Roy uh, for a while, uh, both as a wrestler and a commentator. I mean, firstly, he referred to it as a shithole. Um, but it was a, a little rustic place on the, on a second floor. It, was, it looked like a barn. You can see the rafters. In fact, if you look at a lot of the photos from, from that, that were shot at that venue, you can actually see the rafters uh, in the background. And some people kind of put them off. I always thought it, it, it provided a unique look to the big photos. Um, there's a story that was told that Andre the Giant actually, the, the, one of the rafters hung so low that you really couldn't jump off the top rope or do anything in that corner because uh, you would you know, hit your head on the beam. Uh, Andre the Giant actually took uh, the boot of one of the Von Brauners and put it up on top of the uh, the beam overhead. And uh, as a as a as a rib during the match, and the Von Brauners spent a couple of minutes jumping up trying to reach it, but he couldn't reach it. It was just too high on the rafter. Yeah, we've well, yeah, we've, was, we've all worked in places like that, places yeah. where you couldn't even do anything off of the ropes because of, you were at, had a drop ceiling. You'd go through it. Um, yeah, Pepper's done our show. If you you ought to go back and, and uh, 
our archives and find the show that he did with us because he talks quite a bit about working with uh, with Roy and everything. And uh, his book is very entertaining as well. Yeah, I just I just picked it up. Um, Pepper and I have been talking for about a couple of years on the phone. He's out here. He's still in California too, just like I am. Right. And uh, we we finally met in person uh, at Cauliflower Audio Club just the other day. So I picked up his book. And uh, he signed my personal copy of the Northern California. He did contribute uh, some uh, to some of our interviews that we had. Very nice guy. Um, and that's one of the things, too, about Roy that brings to mind is not only was he a genius at these angles, at these storylines, at using logic in, in his programs, and he, by the way, carried a binder that was a year in advance. He would make little adjustments here and there as, as time went on based on on how the crowd is responding to a certain match or to a certain uh, wrestler. Uh, but he basically carried one for about a year, a little blue binder. So he was very meticulous, very hands-on. But even so, he was hard to work for. As you guys mentioned, uh, that's the feedback you've gotten. That was very true. But everybody who worked for him benefited from, from working for work. They always came out a better worker after having worked for him, no matter how difficult he was to work for. And... Uh, also, uh, he, he had great talent. That's the other thing. You know, sometimes might, some guys might only go in there for one or two two shots during their career, but he always tried to get the best, and he paid them well. He made it worth their while for them to go out there to, to uh, San Francisco. Yeah, I heard and he was very good. He was generous with the money. He was very smart. Generous. I mean, Roy, Roy, in honesty, was, was, kind, was kind of a cheap guy. Um, that was his personality. He loved money. He used to take money out of the bank every every so often. He'd take money out of his accounts, withdraw all the money out, which had to be in the hundreds of thousands, just so he could have it with him at home for a little while, then take it back the next day and redeposit it. He just <laughs> he just he loved money, but uh, he was smart. He knew he had to pay the pay uh, the talent well in order to make it worth the while for them to work for him. You know, so it wasn't because he was a generous guy or a nice guy, kind-hearted. It was because he knew it was in his best interest. Well, I've worked for something that didn't feel that way, haven't you, Jerry? Yes, but you know that that old that old saying: you gotta you gotta spend money to make money. You know, yeah. And some promoters you, like like Don Owens, uh, he, he was yeah. he, he was he was very fair with you know with the payoffs. Yeah, Ron, Ron told me that too. Very good with the payoffs. He said the first he night was. he worked there, he, uh, he was surprised by the payoff. He goes, for the size of this venue, I'm surprised at the payoff I got. And then he gets some other guys in the locker room were complaining. And, and Ron said, you know, I've been around this business for a while, and I've been to a lot of different places. i got to tell you, for this one night of work, for this size of venue, he pays pretty good. So I don't know what you guys are complaining about. You know, they, yeah, they, they didn't have the record. He didn't have the reference point that he had working various territories and working for different promoters. Exactly. That, you know, that's for sure. Well, Jerry, I know it's it's past your bedtime. You got an early it morning is. in the morning, I know. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to go ahead and wrap it up. Rock, let everybody know where they can get uh, your book and Ron's book, where they're available. Yes. yes. Uh, for... Um, the Northern California Wrestling Book, When It Was Big Time, you can go to when it was big time com, and it'll provide the ordering information there. And for Ron's book, you can go to uh, Bad to the Bone, Rotten Ron Star, 
And uh, you can order the book there. And actually, on that site, a little more unique because uh, we actually have a DVD that's available with some of Ron's matches from the various territories. And uh, because, you know, if it's limited mobility, you can't really have the access to him that, that fans would like to have. Uh, we even have some of his autographed photos uh, are available there as well, too. Well, good, good. Well, it's certainly been great having you on, and I'm going to extend the same invitation to you that I extended to Ron. You you have a home here now, so anytime you want to uh, to come on, just just shoot me a note and let me know, and we'll get that hooked up and, and have you back on anytime you're available. Well, thank you very much. It's very much appreciated. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, nice talking to you, uh, Mike, and uh, also to you as well, Jerry. Um, you know, both of you gentlemen are extremely knowledgeable. I've always had respect for you, uh, Mike. Uh, you contributed to my education of Southern Wrestling. And I just want to tell you thank you for everything that you do to help uh, keep the oh, history of this great sport alive. Appreciate it. All right, really well, thank you. Having you, on, Rock. Right, uh, you take next care, week, uh, Jay and Bobby should be back with us, so we will get together and do this one more time. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. Thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.